So Jesus, we ask that you open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to this story and help us be more like you because of it. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Well, hello to all of you. It's good to see all of you here on a sunny day. And those of you watching online at home, those of you in the 11 o'clock service and our middle schoolers and our high schoolers, uh, thank you all for being here. Uh, when I was uh, in my last year of seminary, I had a New Testament class that was for seniors. And we'd completed all the requirements to become a pastor, Greek, Hebrew, theology, all of that. One day, the professor came in and said that he had just been to a meeting of Presbyterian leaders. And that these leaders had decided that you no longer have to take Hebrew to be a pastor. And a few students said, well, that's kind of weird. And, and then the professor said, not only that, you don't have to take Greek either. And then some more students kind of grumbled, and the professor said, not only that, you don't even have to go to seminary. At which point, a, a bunch of students exploded in anger. They can't do that. That's not fair. Why didn't they decide this before I'd done all those classes and fulfilled all these requirements? And the professor said, I know, I know. Totally unfair, right? Well, anyway, let's, uh, let's turn to our text today. Matthew 20, the story of the laborers in the vineyard. Where they all get paid the same, even though some only worked an hour. And we realized he turned us into a sermon illustration. I mean, here we were studying to be pastors, dispensers of God's grace, and the whole idea of grace, that someone would get something for free that we had worked so hard for, irritated my classmates. Not a good sign for the future of the church, by the way, when pastors can't handle grace. One of the most compelling things, one of the most beautiful things about Jesus is his grace. Grace to prostitutes, grace to white-collar criminals, grace to outcasts. It's beautiful. It's compelling. And, but there's another side that this story highlights, where all the workers get paid the same, even though they worked different hours. And the, the other side of grace is that Jesus' grace actually irritates us. It actually kind of gets on our nerves. In fact, this sermon might irritate you. It ir irritates me, and I wrote it. So if it irritates you, I understand because this parable is a disturbing parable, and, and for us, it often sounds like bad news, particularly here in North America. Now, in the rest of the world, this parable is nothing but good news. Right? It all depends on whether you see yourself as first or last. And if this sermon irritates you, if, if you leave bugged, good. Because I think Jesus tells this parable to bug us, to disturb us to challenge us, and to ask us the question, can you handle God's untamed grace? Can you handle God's untamed grace? Because often what pastors do with this story is, you know, pastors will try to kind of like tame it or caveat it. You know, this, 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 this isn't how the real world actually works. Jesus didn't mean this literally. Yes, he did. At least spiritually speaking, he did. But if we resist the urge to tame God's grace, to make it less irritating to us, we get four things in return. We get a bigger God. We get radical freedom. We get life-changing power released in our lives. And we get greater joy. And I'll talk about all those kind of woven throughout this sermon. One of the things I hear a lot is that what Christianity is about is being a good person so that you can go to heaven. Wrong. False. Good people do not go to heaven. Only bad people go to heaven, right? Because there's no such thing as a perfect person who can fit into a perfect heaven on their own. 
The whole point of Christianity is I'm not good. But Jesus died to pay the price for my sins so that now I can be forgiven. And if I make him Lord of my life, he forgives me and begins to make me new because I can't get good on, his own, on my own without his help. Now that's good news, but the problem with it is it's available to everyone. Even, maybe especially even, bad people who don't deserve it. It's not fair. Jesus is not fair. He's good, but he's not fair. He doesn't say we're going to get what we've earned. He says we're going to get grace. And this is so radical because our whole culture operates on the opposite, right? Our whole culture is not about grace. Our whole culture is about ungrace, right? Stores have shopper rewards that you earn by being a loyal customer. You have to earn it. It's not given. It's not grace. Texts or tests come back with the wrong answer circled, right? Not the right answer circled. Job reviews are often about what you did wrong, not about what you did right. Ungrace, it's the whole way our culture works. And we like it that way because if we didn't like it that way, we'd change it. See, grace scandalizes us for a couple of reasons. First, grace makes us equal to everyone else, and we don't want to be equal. We want to be superior, right? When the workers who worked all day complained that the latecomers got the same wage, even though they only worked an hour, the, they say, you have made them equal to us. Notice, their complaint is not that they were underpaid. They, they, were, promised a, they were promised and they got a denarius, which was a very fair wage back then for a day's work. Their complaint is not that they were underpaid. Their complaint is that everyone got the same thing, making everyone equal. Because they don't want to be equal. They want to be superior. A lot of human happiness seems to depend on us having something that someone else doesn't have, doesn't it? I mean, just look at toddlers and their toys, right? I mean, toddlers, the, the basic attitude is, is if I want it, it's mine. If you want it, it's mine. If I've ever touched it, it's mine. If you've ever touched it, it's mine. If you look at it, it's mine. If I look at it, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. A lot of human happiness seems to depend on us having something that someone else doesn't have so that we can feel superior. Where do you do that in your life? And who do you do that to? Because I think we all do it. With our jobs, I got a better job than you've got. Or money, I got more money. Or grades, or looks, I'm better looking than so-and-so. We do it morally. We say things like, well, I may have my flaws, but at least I'm not like Charlie over there. We really need to pray for Charlie over there, right? I used to work at a church where there was this one woman who had all these ideas she wanted the church to do to punish people that she considered immoral for whatever reasons, right? And I used to get in these fierce arguments with her because I didn't think that's what Jesus would do and I didn't think a church should be punishing people, right? And I'd get in these arguments and I would go home. I wasn't married at the time. This is, this is when I was single. I would go home and I would say to my friends, oh, that woman, she's so mean. She's so judgmental. I hope God teaches her a lesson about grace, the challenge of grace for her was that although she had impeccable moral credentials, and she did, the people she thought of as immoral, if they came to Jesus, then God accepted them as much as her. And the challenge of grace for me was that God loved this woman as much as he loved me. And if in her zeal to create a more moral society, she erred on the side of being judgmental, then surely God's grace covered that as well as it covered me if I erred on the side of being too lenient. It makes us equal. Which brings me to the second reason grace irritates us. It's too radical. Grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us more, which is bad news for an overachieving person like me who likes to earn things. But grace also means there's nothing we can do to make God love us less, which for a wretch like me is actually good news. Spiritually speaking, no one is first, no one is last. We're all just forgiven sinners. It's very radical. 
right before this story, Jesus says this, many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. But then at the end of the story, he reverses the order and he says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. It's very confusing. All those firsts and lasts and lasts and firsts just blurring together as if that were the point. Grace isn't about finishing last or first. It's about not keeping score at all. And that is radical. More radical than any revolution. Most revolutions in history, all they want to do is they try to put the haves on the, on the bottom and the have-nots on top. But there's still a top and there's still a bottom. Jesus out-revolutions the revolutionaries because he gets rid of top and bottom, first and last altogether. Now, the Holy Spirit does help us grow in our faith and become more like Jesus. So, yes, there's progress and we grow. But that progress is measured not against other people but how we are becoming more the people God created us to be. God is never going to compare you to someone else. God is never going to say, why aren't you more like so-and-so? He will only say to you, why aren't you more you? The you I designed you to be. And when we get that, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, it brings us radical freedom. We can stop stressing out about being first in grades or career or whatever. We can stop stressing out by being last in those things because we're secure in God's inexhaustible love that can never be canceled. Jesus says, experience my love in prayer, in worship, in scripture, in community. That will free you to do your best, to do your best in whatever you do, but without the stress of having to prove yourself. Which brings me to the last reason that grace irritates us. And that is just basically, it's just unfair. Right? It's unfair. This parable that Jesus tells actually was an old Jewish story. Only in the original version of this story, the workers who came last worked so hard, they, they produced more than all the other workers put together. So even though they only worked an hour, they earned their wage by producing more. That's a good story. That's the story Jesus should have told. But he didn't. And you can kind of see the crowd as Jesus is telling this story. You can kind of oh, I love this one. This is a great story. I love this one. This is a good story about working hard. Right? Until Jesus gets to the end and he puts that twist on it. And all the workers get paid the same, even though some only worked for one hour. So unfair, unless you're one of the workers who worked an hour, right? See, grace applied to ourselves seems good and right and proper. But grace applied to other people, it irritates us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But when it saves a wretch like you, it's not so sweet anymore, right? It doesn't seem fair. They don't deserve it. But to quote Clint Eastwood, deserves got nothing to do with it. And the point of this parable is that God's grace is not limited by our ideas of fairness. God's grace is not limited by our ideas of fairness. He is a much bigger God than that. His grace is not fair, and that's good news. Because if it were fair, we'd all be in trouble because none of us would deserve it. Because we all mess up. In the words of the old hymn, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Such good news, but irritating, right? Grace means that if any of the villains in history, Nero, Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan, any of those guys, if they had a deathbed conversion, they would go to heaven just like me. I don't like that, right? I, I might be in heaven and Genghis Khan might come up to me and say, Scott, what a surprise, you made it too. <laughs> and that's going to irritate me. Shut up, Genghis. You have a stupid name. Huh? Grace is offensive. Grace is radically offensive. It levels the playing field. It's too radical. It's unfair. Which just goes to show we didn't make this up. No other religion has this concept. And we couldn't have made this up. This is not the kind of thing human beings come up with on their own. Loyal shopper rewards, that's what we come up with. 
Now, there's something that I need to say. There's something I need to say right here at this point in the sermon. Because this whole sermon, some of you have been thinking, yeah, does that mean that we can just do anything and get away with it? Shouldn't there be moral standards? What about accountability? And I think all those things too. But see how much we can't handle grace? See how much we can't handle grace? We can't sit through 10 minutes of a sermon on grace without thinking, but isn't there accountability? What about moral standards? We can't handle grace. But guys, if we can't handle grace, ultimately we can't handle Jesus because he's nothing but grace. And the answer, of course, is yes, there's accountability. Of course. The Bible says God cannot be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. If we sin, if we engage in destructive behavior, we will reap the natural consequences of that behavior. And if we spend our whole lives ignoring Jesus only to embrace him in the last minute, we have missed out on a lifetime of security and peace and adventure and joy. And you see that in the parable. When, when the owner goes to hire the last workers, he says to them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. Well, back then, most people didn't have a steady job. You just have a day job, day after day. And so you kind of, it was, it was just one, you know, day to day, one job at a time. If you didn't have a job that day, you weren't going to eat that day. So the workers who were hired last spent a whole day of stress worrying about whether or not they had enough money to eat. Whereas the first workers had the security all day long of knowing the landowner, the master, was going to take care of them. In other words, better to embrace Jesus now and experience his power and assurance and adventure for a lifetime rather than miss out on those things. So yes, there's accountability. And yes, better receive Jesus now than on our deathbed. Yes, yes, yes. But, but what this parable also says is that no matter how bad we have been, no matter how late we come, whatever is in our past, whatever is in our present, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future with Jesus. That's how big our God is. And some of you, man, you need to hear that today. Because some of you, you have a tendency to beat yourself up over things you've done or things you haven't done. Some of you may be sitting here in church going, oh, man, I don't even belong here. Why am I even here? You know, some of you had a massive fight with your spouse on the way to church. Why does it always happen on the way to church? Right? And you're going like, ah, man, no, you are welcome here. Hear the good news. God remembers your sin no more. And you are welcome here. All right, so how do we, what do we do then? How do we live out of this? How do we apply this practically? How do we live out of this truth so that we can experience the joy, the freedom, the power, the bigness of God that I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon? A couple of things. First, focus on God's grace, not on what you're getting. In the parable, the landowner says to the complaining workers, are you envious because I'm generous? Where's the focus? See, the focus is not on the workers or the wages. We get focused on the wages. Those wages, that's not fair, that's not fair. They all are in the same, that's not fair. We're focused on the wages. The parable's not focused on the wages. The parable is focused on the landowner who here stands in for God and his generosity. The story isn't about what we get. It's about the character of God who is bigger than our notions of fairness. And when he says, are you envious because I'm good, the literal Greek says, is your eye evil because I'm good? In other words, the laborers couldn't have joy because they were blinded by their envy. It's about what you're looking at. Right? If we're focused on our grades or achievements or money or success or for our sense of worth right, or significance, we're going to get bitter like these workers because someone always has something more. But if we're focused on how vast, how wide, how deep, how long is the love of God, we experience freedom from bitterness and greater joy. And I need to hear this word for myself. 
Because I have a tendency to compare myself to other people. You know, God gave that person better speaking ability. God gave that person better leadership skills. God gave that person more hair. It's, it's not fair. Right? Maybe they haven't worked as hard as I have. Maybe they haven't lived as good a life as I have. They don't need so much hair. They could give it to me. But here's the thing. Jealousy of other people's gifts robs us of the joy of our own. When the first workers are offered a denarius for their day's work, they are excited. Because a denarius, that was a good day's wage. So they were excited. Now I can pay my bills. That denarius brought them joy. But once they discovered that everyone else got that same denarius, suddenly the denarius that had made them happy now makes them bitter. Because they compared themselves to other people. The master's generosity to the, to the latecomers did not subtract one bit from the reward of the people who worked at the beginning. They still had the denarius that they were promised. The fact that someone else has something that you don't have <coughs> doesn't subtract one bit from what you already do have. But jealousy of another person's grades, jobs, house, money blinds us to what we do have and steals our joy. Focus not on what you're given. Focus on the master and his generosity. Second, for greater power, joy, bigness of God and all of that, give scandalous grace to other people. So many Christians these days are busy judging other people, trying to clean up everyone else's act, trying to make everyone behave, right? Here's the deal, guys. Jesus macromanaged sin so that we don't have to micromanage it, all right? Now, yes, if we love someone, we sometimes have to tell them hard truths that they're doing stuff that is destructive to themselves or others. But that should only happen in close relationship. Give scandalous grace. To give that means we don't judge. It means we don't, we don't uh, talk about people behind their back. And if we think judgmental thoughts, we say, Jesus, please forgive me a sinner for being so judgmental. Which brings me to the next point. It's easier to give scandalous grace to others when we realize how much grace has been extended to us. Which we sometimes don't think about. There was a survey in U.S. News and World Report a couple years ago that asked people, who do you think is most likely to get into heaven based on their goodness, based on how good they are? 79% said they thought Mother Teresa would make it into heaven. Okay, only 79% Mother Teresa? Right, like that means 21% are grading on a pretty tough curve, right? Oprah was next at 66%, followed by Michael Jordan at 65%. Basketball fans, I guess, right? But there was one vote-getter who topped even Mother Teresa. One person received an 87% shot at getting into heaven. Who do you think it was? It was the person named me, the person taking the poll. Oh, my goodness. 87% of people think they have a better shot at getting into heaven based on their own goodness even than Mother Teresa. Wow. Like, Wow. But here's the thing, man, when we do that, when we are blind to our own sins, when we don't face our own failures, we don't realize how much grace we have been given. And when we don't realize how much grace we have be been given, it makes us judgmental, ungracious, mean, nasty people. We all got our stuff, all of us. We fudge the truth to make ourselves look better. We think lustful thoughts. We say hurtful things. We envy others. We withhold love on and on and on. It only took me about two seconds to generate that list of sins. You know why? Because my wife does every one of them. <laughs> no, I do every one of them. I do every one of them and so much more. And yet it is this mess, this mess of contradictions 
this mess of sin that Jesus welcomes home and says, you are my son. When we know how much grace has been extended to us, we can extend it to others. Which brings me to the last point. For freedom, joy, power, a bigger God, trust that grace is the most powerful force in the universe. Let me tell you a story. Years ago, I met a, a man who was president of a Christian college, and when he was in high school, he caused a car wreck in which his cousin was killed, and it was his fault. And he was filled with guilt and shame, obviously, and while he was still recovering from his injuries in the hospital, his cousin's parents, his aunt and uncle, came to visit him. And he was terrified. He thought they'd yell at him, sue him, put him in jail, right? And they started out talking about how much they missed their son and how that hurt. But then they went on, they said, we miss our son, but we've been talking. We would be honored if you would be like our son now. Share our home, share our lives, come on the holidays. Would you be our son now? It completely changed his life. He says it taught him everything he needed to know about the power of God's grace. Now I have a question for you. I have a question for you. Do you think that he viewed his aunt and uncle's grace as an excuse to go cause another car wreck? Or live a worthless life? Or get all judgmental about people who drive even a little bit over the speed limit? No. It did the opposite. Their grace made him want to live in a way that honors them and shows his love for them. Knowing how much he'd been forgiven, he was able to forgive others. And their grace transformed him. He died a couple years ago, but he was a prince of a man. I mean, he, he, had, he had this absolute security that comes only from knowing how deeply loved you are. So he never stressed out about anything. His staff and students loved him because he spent his life trying to help them in any way that he could. No law can change someone that way. No sermon can change someone that way. God's grace is the most powerful force there is, and it released transforming power into this man's life. So this week, instead of trying to earn God's approval, can you simply pray, Jesus, here is the raw, unvarnished truth about me, and confess your sins knowing that because of his death, he has forgiven your sins and you are loved. And then ask to experience his grace, his grace that will free you from anxious striving to prove yourself. And then second, who do you need to extend grace to? Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend, a family member, maybe it's just to yourself. Nobody is beyond God's grace, so give it to others. And you will see yourself not as better than or less than others, but simply as a forgiven sinner who the Holy Spirit is transforming into a saint. And you will release life-changing power for yourself, for others, and into this world. I'll close with this. Uh, when I taught at Stanford, uh, one time I was invited to speak to a group of atheists on the, on the Stanford campus. It was kind of like the Stanford Atheist Club, right, about, about Christianity. So I went and I talked about lots of things, one of which was grace. And one student was incensed by what I had said. And he said, let me get this straight. If my friend goes out and murders a bunch of people, but on the last day of his life he accepts Jesus and it's real, are you saying he goes to heaven the same as Mother Teresa? And I said, that's exactly what I'm saying. And he said, that's not fair. And I said, nope, not one bit. He said, that can't be. That can't be. Don't you think he needs to do something to make up for all the bad stuff he's done? Don't you think a price has to be paid? And I said, oh, I do. But here's the beautiful part. The price has already been paid. Because, see, the reason God can be so unfair is that the price has already been paid. Because 2,000 years ago, religious people who always think that they're fair and Roman law that thought itself just conspired to kill an innocent man on a cross. That wasn't fair either. He didn't deserve that. But it was grace. 
See, grace is always unfair to everybody. It means an innocent man is killed to pay the price for our sins so that serial killers who accept him can go to heaven just the same as Mother Teresa and be loved just the same as Mother Teresa. It means that Jesus had to die so that adulterers and liars and cheats and hypocrites and people like you and people like me could all know God and receive his blessings. Oh, it's not fair at all. Jesus didn't deserve that. We don't deserve that. But in God's economy of grace, deserves got nothing to do with it. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. The question is, can you handle it? So Jesus, open us up to your grace that is at once amazing and it sounds so sweet and scandalous and irritating at the same time. Help us to experience your grace, your love, your power that sets us free from our anxious striving to live in utter security and confidence with you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.